Welcome to Natu Reads, an audio library of revolutionary texts. Promoting Proletarian Consciousness as Prisoner Rehabilitation by Kevin Rashid Johnson. Since our inception, the NABPP-PC has emphasized the leading role of the proletariat in any genuine revolutionary struggle. In our founding article, the NABPP-PC, Our Line, we explained this position and contrasted the revolutionary character of the proletariat with the counter-revolutionary character of the lumpen, or broken, proletariat. Because lumpen values have been deeply ingrained in the new African and general urban and prison culture, advancing revolutionary proletarian ideology is essential to building our party, organizing our mass organizations, revolutionizing prisoners and the oppressed masses in general, and consolidating the struggle against capitalist imperialism. We promote proletarianizing prisoners through ideologically and politically training them in the principles and practices of class struggle and in the science of revolution, historical and dialectical materialism. But there's yet another approach, which can turn a negative into a positive, namely by genuinely transforming prisoners' economic statuses from that of slaves into wage-earning proletarians. This can be done within the prison setting. Our party has already taken a firm stand in promoting abolishing prisoners' slave status, including amending the 13th Amendment to strike the clause that legalizes convict slavery, and granting them the right to vote, which is the fundamental component of citizenship, and abolishing the racist death penalty, indefinite solitary confinement, physical and mental torture, and other human rights abuses. But an additional step in organizing prisoners, advancing our revolutionary consciousness and ranks, and preparing us for a more stable and productive re-entry into society is to demand prisoners' right to work for minimum wage and to union representation. As part of and in addition to advancing proletarian consciousness, paying prisoners a real wage for their labor could help them support their families and build up a nest egg for when they get out to get a place to live, a car, survival, and therefore greatly reducing recidivism. They could pay off fines and restitutions before they get out, and be more likely to sustain relationships on the outside as well as retain legal services. This would counteract warehousing of prisoners and reducing us to slaves, and instead promote proletarian consciousness and aspirations as a means of rehabilitation, which would include the right to organize and to strike. This would not be a move to legitimize the prison industrial complex and the use of convict labor for profit which the imperialists are already doing, but turning the conditions that they have created against us to our benefit, and that of revolutionary organizing. As Karl Marx pointed out, productive work is essential to woman and mankind's very existence, that independent of meeting financial needs, people need productive labor, enforced idleness corrupts and deteriorates the human character, and is itself a human rights violation. The lumpen are distinguished from unemployed workers because they do not look for work and avoid it. It is in this sense that they are broken. If given a choice, they prefer to steal, deal, hustle, or pimp, living as parasites and preying on others, 
even killing their fellow humans. Proletarianizing the lumpen is the highest and only legitimate form of rehabilitation. Prisoners have a right to be rehabilitated as opposed to the human rights violation of being merely warehoused, unless the criminal justice system admits its real design and intentions to be that of creating and unleashing predators to prey upon the general society, and this means freedom to sell their labor power and to collectively bargain over the terms of sale. Enforced slavery contradicts the inalienable rights, as declared in the U.S. Declaration of Independence, of all people to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Beyond the security considerations inherent in incarceration, the state cannot be allowed to kill, cannot be allowed to deny the right, the liberty, to be a proletarian or to pursue meaning and purpose in life. If society accepts that one must do time as punishment for a crime, then it follows that the time must productively serve the needs of the society by promoting the genuine rehabilitation of the incarcerated individual, so that she-slash-he will function as productive members of the society upon release. Enslavement does not teach one how to be free. Abuse does not promote good citizenship or emotional stability. A criminal justice system will still be needed under socialism to deal with the antisocial criminal behavior. But our model must be a school of liberation. The principles of a genuine correctional system must be articulated and struggled for as part of the overall revolutionary struggle. The question is how should these prisons be run and what rights should the prisoners have that are inalienable and will promote rehabilitation and good citizenship. Revolution is a birthing process the new society forming in the womb of the old one. Through struggle, we create more favorable conditions for greater struggle. Nothing comes instantly. Changing social and economic relations must proceed and develop from a lower to a higher level. As revolutionaries, we want to transform the prisons into schools of liberation to provide the revolution with trained cadre and fighters. But on a deeper level, we want to revolutionize social relations under capitalism to better enable us to revolutionize social relations under socialism and in the advance to a classless society. Our goal is not to make acceptance of wage slavery more palatable and thus prolong the inequality, exploitation, and injustice of capitalist imperialism. Our goal is to serve and advance the interests of the world proletarian revolution to abolish the system of capitalist imperialism. Toward this end, we should seek to proletarianize the prisoner population through revolutionary political education, promoting revolutionary culture, and, as much as possible, drawing them into proletarian social relations to the means of production. Can the system altogether oppose the demand for the right to work and to collective bargaining through union representation? They do want to exploit convict labor. A concession on this issue would force the state to expand work industries bringing more prisoners into the workforce and counter the present model of long-term segregation. Free world unions could be one to support the prospect of 2.5 million new dues-paying members and an equally large electoral voting bloc. It's also possible to win criminologists and people in the criminal justice system to support this program. Organizations like the National Council on Crime and Delinquency are already actively advocating increasing prisoners' wages to free world levels. 
The policy statement of the NCCD's Board of Directors reads, in part, quote, The present condition of prison industries limits the value of work programs. The deficiencies vary from prison to prison. The pay for inmates employed in prison is too low to be regarded as wages. The average prison laborer receives from $0.10 cents to $0.65 cents a day. Few institutions pay inmate workers for a day's work what the federal minimum wage law requires for an hour's work. The rate of pay is only a token, a daily rebuke to the inmate, reminding him or her of society's power to exploit at will. This counterproductive prison labor system must be changed. An inmate receiving equitable payment for work performed will be able to provide some support for his or her family, continue payments on Social Security, make some payment for room and board, and save money to assist himself or herself upon return to society. Therefore, the National Council on Crime and Delinquency urges the introduction of federal and state legislation requiring that an inmate employed at productive work in federal, state, or local institution shall be paid no less than the minimum wage operative nationally or in his or her state. Developing prison labor unions is also a practice goal, as such institutions presently exist with beneficial results in other countries. Prison labor unions are not an American invention. The first successful prisoner labor union was organized in Sweden. Since 1966, the union, which represents the vast majority of Swedish prisoners, has carried out a long series of successful negotiations with the government. Every effort has been made to make the prisoners' wages the same as free wages. Prisoners pay rent for their cells and board for their food. They are encouraged to pay their debts in the community, including restitution to the victims of the crimes. They pay taxes and generally have enough left at the end of the month to save around $50. Additional benefits from unionization have been a good working relationship with Swedish industry, widely available vocational training, safer prison factories, eligibility for workmen's compensation, and, perhaps most importantly of all, the democratic involvement of prisoners in forming their own destiny. The union is credited with diminishing violence in prisons, lowering recidivism, and making prisons more open institutions in Swedish society. End quote. Paul Camo, Labor Unions for Prison Inmates. America's liberal democratic revolution of 1776, of which the Civil War, 1861-1865, was a continuation, remains an unfinished revolution. The most glaring examples of this are the U.S. prison system and the continuation of the status of slave, the racist death penalty, legalized lynching, and the institutionalized racism, sexism, and human rights abuses that constitute legally sanctioned torture. Until the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is extended to all in America, including those convicted of crimes, the liberal democratic revolution remains unfinished. To bring this stage to its completion and move forward to socialism, the proletariat must lead this struggle. Democracy leads to socialism, and democratic revolution leads to socialist revolution. The slave emancipates her slash himself by becoming a proletarian, and the proletarian emancipates her slash himself by the abolition of classes. Recognizing that the bourgeoisie are no longer a progressive and revolutionizing force as they were in 1865 when they overthrew the chattel slave system, 
in fact, they have become reactionary to the core and increasingly fascist and anti-democratic, the proletariat must lead in completing the democratic revolution and carry it forward to make a socialist revolution, to put an end to the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. We are not calling for an all-new democratic revolution, but there is unfinished business that clearly falls under liberal democracy, and resolving it moves us forward towards socialist revolution. Towards this end, the new African service organization, NASO, should outline a comprehensive program for transforming the razor-wire slave plantations into schools of liberation. This program should include amending the 13th Amendment, abolishing the death penalty and life without parole, establishing voting rights for prisoners, job training and the right to work in union representation, education and cultural programs, religious freedom and self-help programs, freedom of correspondence between prisoners, an end to political censorship, etc. It should call for a national task force of human rights abuses and institutionalized racism and sexism to investigate the federal, state, and local prisons and jails. The program should be based upon the NABPPPC's 10-point program in its minimal form, ending the slave status for prisoners and establishing our status as proletarians, and from there, moving forward to proletarian socialist revolution. Dare to struggle, dare to win. All power to the people.